Hi, my name is Claire and I'm the mother of three teenagers with FESD. I'm Jessica, a PhD researcher specialising in educational interventions for children with FASD. And together we are the hosts of Spotlight on FASD, the UK's first podcast dedicated to shining a spotlight on fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. FASD is a condition caused by prenatal alcohol exposure that affects hundreds of thousands of children across the UK. And we're here to bring these conversations out of the shadows and make sure that no one living with FASD feels alone. Welcome back to this week's episode of Spotlight on FASD. Thank you for joining us. Um, we have another lovely guest this week. So it's really exciting to be able to talk to people. We're still um, on our sensory journey, so talking about all things sensory. So today we're talking to Emily, and Emily is from, uh, she's a fellow podcaster. She has a podcast called 21 Sensory Podcast. Um, Emily has a sensory processing disorder is autistic and also has uh, an adoptive brother with FASD so she knows everything you know all things sensory because of her own needs but also her um, living with her brother so thank you for joining us we're very very excited that you've reached out um, and would love to talk to you so we just want to hear a little bit about your experiences I think um, probably my first question would be at what point we, we very briefly talked before about how the the journey of sensory needs versus diagnosis is is, is kind of either one way or the other for people and people either know that they've got re, need real sensory input and they've got different sensory processing needs before they have a diagnosis and that that comes first or people don't realize that they have these sensory differences until they get a diagnosis. So which way around was it for you? Hi, um, yeah, exactly, exactly what you said. So for me, I think I noticed my sensory like processing difficulties before um, I was diagnosed. Um, luckily enough, um, actually my parents realized through my brother who you mentioned has FASD and is adopted. Um, they noticed he had a lot of sensory stuff going on and as they were kind of bringing him up, they also realized I was displaying a lot of the same sort of like sensory needs as him. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what brought them to take me to an um, occupational therapist. And she was the one who diagnosed me with um, sensory processing difficulties. Um, so I think I was about aged eight um, in primary school. So for me, yeah, the sensory stuff definitely came first and the autism came way later in my adult life. But you know, just speaking to people online in the kind of autism community and just kind of people who are neurodiverse in general, it can be really much kind of the other way around. You know, they'll realise that, oh, actually, I've had these sensory needs all my life, but it's only since I've got the diagnosis of, say, you know, autism or Tourette's or something like like that, that, you know, they've come to that realisation. Yeah. Because I'd said to you earlier that I didn't realise that the way that I was parenting my children before we had any kind of a diagnosis, I just knew that that's how they needed life delivered to them. And it was just, I had evolved to meet all of those needs. Like we didn't drive a certain way to school. You couldn't, you know, definitely not that colour for that one. Not that kind of fabric. Definitely don't let them smell that food. And it was just how things were. And I just evolved to accommodate all of that. And it wasn't until I took a step back and had an OT in my life, which, you know, I can't stop 
talking about the importance of occupational therapists and their role that they play um, in, in FASD and autism. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until then that I was, you know, they were like, you know, yeah, yeah, you're doing a really good job, but you are actually, you know, you are putting all of these accommodations in. And I was delivering a pretty intensive sensory diet to three children and I didn't know I was doing it. But when I did know I was doing it, and this is the importance, I think, of of having that input from a professional, when I was doing it intentionally, because I was doing it unintentionally up until then, it was just to survive without, um, you know, very upset children. When I was doing it intentionally, um, it became even easier and more powerful. It, it, it had more of an impact doing it intentionally. And I think it's really interesting what you've just said, because a lot of our FASD children are diagnosed with um, with autism. And sometimes they never then get the, the FASD diagnosis, which is the umbrella diagnosis ab- above it all, because you know, a lot of the symptoms are very, very similar, identical in a lot of cases. So I think it must have been so interesting for your parents to watch the two of you growing up alongside each other. There must have been so many similarities between your your needs and your brother's needs. I think that's I think that's just, that's really fascinating to me. Um, and just shows that you know your parents. Did your parents know that your brother had FASD? No, he was only diagnosed when he was 19. Right. So, okay. So, yeah. okay. so there's a lot of, yeah. So Claire puts it as, you know, you as having these needs alongside each other. But I guess what your parents were actually doing in that situation is thinking like, okay, the similarities, there's things like, what are we juggling here really? Yes. If if they just didn't know. So was, was your brother also um, diagnosed with sensory processing? he um I think he initially kind of my parents we adopted him I should start from the start really and we adopted him age two and um we didn't know that he had any sort of kind of special needs or difficulties and it was only as he was kind of growing up and through primary school that my parents realized that he had kind of a sort of like speech delay and processing difficulties and um they thought that he might be autistic but he kind of never had that sort of diagnosis if that makes sense so they knew um from kind of going you know being referred to a hospital that he had some neurological condition but they couldn't sort of pinpoint what that was and yeah it was only kind of recently that he was diagnosed he's now 20 um but yeah it was only kind of going back into his past and his history and being able to kind of look back at kind of paperwork and stuff like that so it was really kind of a sort of detective sort of <laughs> journey to yeah. try and find that out yeah. what made them what what um do you think made them when did FASD come on the radar as as even a possibility? I think to some extent it was slightly on their radar because they knew of his birth mum's kind of difficulties with mm. alcohol, um, but they didn't know the extent to it and didn't have access to that sort of paperwork. Yeah. Um, it was only when they kind of really pushed kind of like social services to kind of go back into his history that they were able to get that and then obviously it was a kind of long wait for a referral because mm-hmm. it, it takes a lot of time to be seen yeah. so Definitely. yeah he, he had some um he had some mental health issues um in his kind of late teens and that's kind of what prompted us to kind of look for a sort of diagnosis if that makes sense yeah so what yeah that must be a really really interesting time of your your parents navigating all these things as as the two of you were growing up and 
Um, yeah, really interesting. I mean, was, was your house, like Claire's, was your house full of these like sensory diet accommodations or? Yeah, I think definitely. Yeah. I think I'm very sensory defensive. Um, my brother is very like sensory seeking so that we don't always get along in terms of like you know sensory stuff and yeah he's very much um seeking out lots of kind of opportunities and stuff whereas I'm very much kind of introverted and don't you know can be very picky and stuff so it can be difficult yeah but it's definitely um something we've got used to <laughs> yeah and did that, did that, that impact your Oh, sorry, Claire. <laughs> See, I just sounds like a description of um, my daughter and my middle boy. It's like, <laughs> it's like a wreck at Ralph, and she's trying to hide from all this noise. Yeah. Um, so it's um, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And how how Emily? How did that impact your relationship as siblings? You know, if like did you know did did it impact your relationship as siblings, or did did you kind of you know live parallel to one another and accommodating your own needs as as separately as you can you know if you're saying that you're you're trying to um be quite avoidant of these things you know the last thing you want is somebody who has who's very sensory seeking and I can see Claire laughing because she lives this every day (laughs) (laughs) it's yeah it, it was a bit kind of difficult and I'm sort of more verbal than he is so I don't think he's always able to put into words how he's feeling or if you know something say sensory wise is upsetting him whereas I'm you know I'm able to communicate how I'm feeling most of the time so it 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 was like a sort of struggle I think but um I don't know I think we've we kind of understand each other better um and we know what would kind of annoy the other one in terms of like sensory stuff so we know not to like touch each other or like make each other jump or like stuff like that so I think we both have that understanding which is quite nice we're quite yeah (laughs) Emily did you so I um you are quite verbal so you can you know what's going to trigger you you can explain when you've been triggered did you find growing up that you what kind of his translators would you be able to tell what would trigger him or because I know that my because my daughter is so good at knowing what her triggers are what her sensory needs are and explaining exactly how they make her feel um I find that she is my translator for my boys Mm. and sometimes she will explain a situation to me that's either about to unfold if I don't do something with something whatever it might be um or can explain why something has happened um and I was just wondering if because the similarities seem to be you know quite interesting I was just wondering if because you were able to um verbalize your needs could you do that for him definitely I think kind of you know going into different situations or like busy environments like I had that kind of I don't know sense that you know I'm struggling in this environment so I can only imagine what my brother's feeling kind of thing and I can always kind of say I don't know I feel like I know what to say to him in terms of should we step outside kind of thing or do you want to like escape to a toilet or something like I can kind of almost guess and I think he started to understand that more as he's been a teenager but when he was young he didn't know why he was feeling the way he was so yeah I definitely feel like I could kind of guide him in that way. 
I, I know that my, even when my, my my little girl was very small and we I, we didn't have a diagnosis, didn't really know what I was dealing with. And I remember one day something was happening and she said, "Ma'am, this is going to make him um, this is making him too fizzy and too muddly, and it's going to come out of his body as naughty in a minute." So she 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 was watching what he was having to process and she was trying to warn me that this his body's going to process it in his way and it's going to come out as naughty. That was how she described it. Um, you know, so she oh, she I know she has been my lifeline for so long. She just instinctively does it. And I found as they've got older, say they're in like early teens now, mid-teens, and the boys, as they've got a little bit older, I see that she um he does navigate towards her a little bit in times of escalation or or when he's um certainly at an escalation where he's he is still in control of it but things are high and you know she might say to me you know and sometimes it's the last thing she wants to do because it's a very it's a real sensory struggle for her but she is so full of empathy and compassion Sometimes to our detriment, honestly, it's, it's our biggest strength and it's our biggest curse. I feel our empathy. It cripples mm-hmm. her. Um, and so sometimes, you know, she'll say, "Mom, I'm just going to um, do this with him um, because I can tell, you know, it's all too fizzy inside and he needs us to, you know, and she'll be like forcing herself through this experience of, I don't know, watching him do this, but it's very noisy or, you know, and and she's doing that because she knows what he needs and I just think it's a unique situation that you've clearly with your brother mm-hmm. and it is um, it's a wonderful wonderful thing to have because I know that it's something that gives me deep deep pleasure and a massive amount of support that must have been a real support to your parents the fact that they had you know and I'm not even going to be naive enough to think that you know that there wasn't explosions and difficulties um along the yeah. way um, but it must have been a real help that you were bought that you had that level of understanding of him certainly even at a time when he didn't have that level of understanding yeah I think so and you know really I should be thankful for him because he really highlighted to my parents kind of sensory stuff and they realize that about me so really I should be (laughs) thankful that he you know put me on that kind of journey to understanding that and yeah like you say about occupational therapy I can yeah I can't recommend it enough it's just the most helpful form of therapy ever (laughs) it's so practical isn't it it's I remember when I like first learned the first sensory diet and I I genuinely thought that was like food like Mm -hmm. a diet I didn't realize it might be um you know, lying with your head dangling off the sofa for mm-hmm. minutes, or you know, why why does why does he always need to do that? Why does he always need to bang that super brush? And like, why am I going through so many? Because I just come into the kitchen and then there's the broom over there, like, and then the the handle is snapped off, like, and you you, you don't realise the things that they are doing mm-hmm. because they need to do it. And when it's explained to you by an OT, well, when they do this, this happens. You're like you want to go out of your way to make it happen because you then see the difference like like the release when it it doesn't happen and I think you know we we are going on and on through a little sensory series about OTs but it is just it's 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 the point in your journey where your path completely turns um if if you if you get on board with that you know it's so so important yeah and I find this I find this really interesting with the you know, all the similarities there, 
being sensory like sensory is at the center of that relationship between Emily yourself and and your brother and and the way that you um navigate your your relationship and and your world growing up in in the same household and the similarities between uh Claire's two children who are um in a, a very very similar position and it's interesting that yes like Emily your brother has this FASD diagnosis um but but you don't and Claire's children have this FASD uh diagnosis and it's you know it, I think it just shows that sensory processing um, disorders or difficulties or issues however we want to describe them are such a central part of of neurodiversity mm-hmm. and how people are are interacting with each other and and the world around them as well so you know it, this is just an even bigger shout out for OT isn't it I mean <laughs> blimey we need them everywhere <laughs> and I, I just can't the, the more that I'm listening to your story Emily I, I just you know it completely kind of totally can't think of the word but it there's so much overlap between autism and FASD and some people talk about a misdiagnosis but other people would argue because the the two you you can have them both together but mm-hmm. quite often someone is has an autism diagnosis but the FASD is never investigated or completely ignored and this is just this is proof your story is proof the journey that your parents have gone through with you and your brother before your diagnosis it is absolute proof how those two are run so closely together because I can imagine a lot of the time that you you know yes you you've we're on the sensory processing scale you've either got your you know your hyper or your hyposensitive so that's always going to be different for each individual but your journey I can imagine at some points was was pretty identical to your brothers in terms of needs and, yeah, and yeah. two totally different different because what we talk about so um autism is a neurodiversity and FASD is a brain injury mm-hmm. so there there are so many similarities but they the, the 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 source the root of them are two very very different um circumstances so i think that and yet yeah, yeah you are you are neurodiverse but you are not neurotypical when you have fasd mm-hmm. but it's the result of a brain injury not neurodiversity if that makes sense yeah mm-hmm. and it's just fascinating that the that the the, the parallel that the 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 symptoms and the needs can be nearly identical um and more than once i found myself especially when the children were smaller i found myself in a situation where i've maybe been in public needed a little bit of assistance or needed to explain why something was happening and the fastest and easiest thing for me to do to get help or to get some kind of support is just to explain um that my child is autistic because that gets instant you know and I'm not I'm not criticizing the person I was dealing with. It was actually a manager in Pizza Hut in Edinburgh. But I knew that I had probably four or five minutes before mm-hmm. um, my children was going to bolt. Um, and he was just overstimulated and, and he was too hungry. Um, and I just said, um, my son's autistic and I really need some help. And there was just no any I mean, he just kicked into action. There was no hesitation. 
um, and just said the next pizza to come out of the oven is, is it's for this table and then you know like does he want some ice cream first just just do what you need we hadn't ordered anything yet but he was just saying do what you need we're going to get some food on your table within two minutes um and had i said my son's got my son's got fasd mm -hmm. i would have put him in an awful position chances are because he wouldn't have known what that meant he wouldn't have had any kind of indication of what kind of immediate support yeah, that yeah. i was looking for mm -hmm. that's um, what i'm like so grateful about because I had the I have the exact same thing, you know. If I said to someone, "Oh, I have some I have sensory processing difficulties," they they'd have no idea what I meant, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that's why I'm so thankful for the diagnosis of being autistic because I yeah. can just say I'm autistic. It's one yes. word, people get yeah. it. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I had to wait until I was 25 to know that. But mm -hmm. at least now I can quickly say I'm autistic if I'm freaking out or something. I'm not having to say, "Oh, I've got sensory stuff." <laughs> Yeah, and it's some kind of, and then it's just an, and even if people don't know, even if people aren't um, touched by autism in their lives, mm. it's it's safe to say that pretty much everyone has a basic understanding of it, certainly a social acceptance of it, yeah. and, and a little bit of an idea of what you might need that you need some help. But Emily, do you find that, so would you say that the sensory needs or one of your biggest aspects of your autism diagnosis? Yeah, definitely. I think um, that's what I struggle with most, like day to day. Um, also kind of, I'd say sensory and like social stuff mm -hmm. are my two biggest things, but I would say sensory a little bit more. Um, I do really struggle with being like overwhelmed um, just because I cannot, it's like a traffic jam in my head. I can't, I can't filter my senses in any way. And it's, it's all coming in at once and it's almost like I always kind of describe it as like um like a music desk like all the faders are all up at once and I, ca I can't like process yeah. all this like input that's coming in so that's a yeah. really weird isn't it you instantly like I like when oh, you, you can just instantly imagine what that would feel like yeah um because I know my children have highlighted to me inadvertently my sensory needs you know I know the things that trigger me now and so actually through them I'm grateful to that because through them I know I make accommodate I've got no one to make accommodations for me but I make accommodations for myself so I know that um even if I bang a door quite loudly you know if I just I never if anyone were to watch me they would think what on earth are you doing anyone watches me close the door because <laughs> I'm like Oh, the handle goes down as slowly as it can and, and I do it really really slowly because I've learned that and it's because of you know going through difficult times with the kids when there were lots of things kicking off any kind of a, um, a door bang for me oh. yeah. and then I'm then maybe not the best mom that I can be when that's happened and I'm heightened so you know I, I've it's I, I have noticed that I put lots of um accommodations in place for myself now that I, I so I'm grateful for that because I don't think any human doesn't have sensory processing needs to that everyone yeah. has something mm -hmm. yeah definitely but I like like you say it like just being aware of something like a door bang being like triggering or upsetting like I would be so thankful just like okay you say that you're not the best mum but 
just the fact that you're considering those little things is huge in yeah. terms of being able to like you know live side by side <laughs> yeah like because and, and I've learned it because you know so I like and they, they do always comment about how other people like if if their dad um is at my house taking care of them you know it'll be like will you ask dad to stop coming into my room now I know it's got nothing to do with anything other than the way he closes the door when he leaves the room mm-hmm. that's what it is and that can be like misconstrued in so many different ways but actually it's just because and because it's not a trigger for him you leave the room you know wouldn't dream of leaving the door open because that would antagonize them and you'll just pull the door shut <gasps> and then yeah. everyone's up in the air everyone's up in the air then you know so I think that I've learned um well, I always say I sometimes feel like um like um you know like an Apache Indian tracker, you know the like a native native Indian where they've got all these tracking skills where they can like listen and and it, like I I've got that level of awareness now yeah. and with the three of them that I can like he you know can can feel something about to to know any any kind of a noise like I would choose when um. I hoovered, like to say that's an excuse, like, oh yeah, I don't really I don't really go overboard with hoovering because of my children's sensory needs. It's got nothing really to do with it. But I was, there would be times where I think if I had an opportunity to hoover and I'd think, no, this is not the right time. I can't have a hoover mm-hmm. in this house now. Um, things like that. And and I've learned and I've learned that by doing it wrong for so long. <laughs> by, well, I need to hoover, you'll just have to get on with it. And then I wonder why the rest of my day is just unbearable and, you know, pardon my language, but just turns to utter ratchet. And that that is a term that I use as a technical term in my home when things have fallen apart beyond anything. And I can usually trace it all back to something I've done or haven't to some accommodation that I haven't made. Um, you know, so I, I think that's really interesting when you say as well, like um, everybody's got some sort of of sensory needs and everybody can put you know themselves in that position um what you know whether whether you are you know neurodiverse in some way or have you know anything at all mm. um sensory processing disorder or whether you just have an awareness of these these sensory needs and you know I find it really really difficult like like my boyfriend comes home he'll start cooking the dinner the extractor fans on the radio's blaring music and then tries to talk to me and I'm like I can't like I, I can't I, I can't have a conversation right now there's so much noise coming in and that's made me very like learning about FASD has made me very aware of my own you know sensory needs around you know just having a conversation like I can't there's so many other noises in the kitchen at that time that I just have to shut down and say sorry I can't I can't hear you and do you because think that what's quite interesting though do you think in, in this so you can put it in the context of a relationship before you were aware of that chances are you either wouldn't have been receptive or you would have been a bit irritated and that could trigger don't like, get irritated uh, like, yeah. <laughs> what's wrong what's wrong what are you being like that for why what are you being funny you know and that could start an argument and so in the same way that that can trigger an incident in a relationship if you aren't aware of the sensory needs of your family you will trigger incidents and yeah. you know I still I, I'm, I'm not an expert 
um but i am i have a, a greater expertise than i did i still make mistakes but quite often that's when i'm overwhelmed or, or too tired yeah. or just i haven't got the energy to go that extra mile and you know i think the comforting thing for me and, and this is what I want to press home about the importance of meeting sensory needs above all else. You can turn everything around. You can turn every situation around. Um, and, and, you know, the, the symptoms that you're dealing with, you can, because don't, don't want to call them behaviours at all because they are symptoms. You can ease the negative symptoms drastically when you put, put sensory accommodations in place definitely yeah and I'm really keen to hear Emily like what what accommodations do you now have like as as an adult do you live on your own now um I still live at home um, okay I I want to move out but I think it's going to be a little bit difficult just because I have these sensory needs and I'm really bad with change <laughs> so yeah, even well. small changes um so even like you know my detergent changing um so <laughs> the work oh, that's a big deal yeah. yeah it is it's a huge deal and yes, like it is it's so difficult to explain but yeah I really I obviously would like to move out at some point but so um, do you have a whole host of of accommodations that you have in place just just to go about your adult life really you know I'm, I'm guessing you know yeah. certainly your family will but you know how, how do you accommodate that when you when you go out and when you when you're out and about and interacting with the world what does that look like I think there's a lot of different kind of techniques I've picked up along the way. Mm -hmm. um, I think I'm very good at masking and um, kind of camouflaging my sort of autistic overwhelm. So um, sometimes when I get back home, I can be quite kind of burnt out just because I've been kind of keeping up this sort of act of I'm OK, I'm fine. Um, but in terms of kind of accommodations, I think like even just like lockdown has taught me that I do much better working from home mm -hmm. um I would usually work in an open plan office which is just awful um just the sights and sounds and smells and even like people coming in with their fluorescent yellow jackets like who've biked in hanging that up near me like even something as small as that is just too much for me to handle whereas me working at home I've been able to like control my environment it's all about having like routine structure control for me just yeah. so that I'm in a kind of safe space I can do what I want I you know I don't have to keep up this act I'm very much I don't know I kind of slip into masking without realizing and when I get home I've realized that I've just like kept this up the whole time and I'm yeah. like absolutely like knackered from it but I think that's I don't know that's something I've learned that I didn't even realize I was doing it until I was diagnosed as autistic. I was like, so not everyone is having to put this front on all the time or having a monologue in their head of, you know, scripted stuff to say. Like, I didn't realize that wasn't everyone. <laughs> so I think it's just all these little things I didn't realize that I was doing that. I don't know. I'm trying to accommodate and just exist in a very neurotypical world. <laughs> yeah. So, Emily, when you so when you were. Out, out and about or doing your job and and you now know that you were masking and camouflaging it all and you would come home and then you would be absolutely burnt out would that what would that look like for you do you would you have to go to sleep um did it inter did it did it interfere with your sleep with your sleep pattern I think so I think usually when I come in I would get very upset and sort of cry in front of my parents as a kind of I've bottled it all up and I need to get it all out 
um, that was something I used to do a lot when I came home from school. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it would mess with it would mess with my like evening routine. It would mess with my sleep, kind of like cycling over the same thoughts and the same things I've yeah. said. And it just it kind of disrupts like the normality because all, all I want is I you know I'd love to have the same routine every day, eat the same things every day, see the same people every day. But that life for some unknown reason can't be like that. <laughs> so it's it's difficult and it you know it can take you know an hour or you know an entire evening to get over depending yeah. on what I've done and I think that's just something that people so few people see that um I know my daughter any kind of a, an activity even two or three hours if we can manage to get her into school in the morning will result in a minimum of like a three-hour nap on an afternoon she has to just shut down and go to sleep and then that interferes with sleep later on because she's had this big sleep and um it's just so it's so difficult isn't it when when you can present to the world what what the world sees mm-hmm. what you have to do to survive and then yeah. when you when you are able to take that mask off it's it's brutal sometimes isn't it what you how exhausting it is mm. and it's just it's a constant thing it's a constant you know keep keeping it up <laughs> so yeah. yeah it can it can be really draining and people don't realize that I'm doing it and mm-hmm. you know my colleagues and stuff at work have no idea what I'm dealing with internally so mm-hmm. it's a difficult one <laughs> yeah well I think it's so valuable that you speak out about it um <laughs> And I'm, I'm definitely going to have a, a listen of your podcast. So apart from anything else, I'm just going to say, because I'm well aware of the things that, that comfort me sensory wise. I absolutely love listening to your voice. Like I've really, oh. it's just, just, just so hot. I love it. It's so calming <laughs> and it's so soothing. So I'm, I know that as a little sensory fix for me, I'm definitely going to be listening to your podcast. Because your voice is lovely. And it's, you, you're giving me real insight for the years ahead for my daughter as well, you know. So I think it's 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 equally important for people to listen to what you've got to say. Um, young people like mm-hmm. like you, but also for parents of um, young people and young adults to be able to um, help accommodate and understand a little bit just how how difficult it is. And I kind of I do that as well. I mean, I have a podcast, but also I'm an illustrator, so. If I'm just going to plug my Instagram quickly, (laughs) it's just 21 sensory, but I find that visually through kind of like infographics and illustrations, I kind of try and, um, I don't know, get across like, like just people being more aware of sensory needs and stuff. And Mm -hmm. I just try and do like little doodles and stuff just to, you know, if people might scroll across them or like come across them on Instagram, that it might be something they consider, you know, when they're next sort of out and about and stuff like that. So I try and, I try and use different like media like you know audio and and also like visual stuff to try and get across this message because you know people process stuff so differently which is obviously you know can be a sensory thing so I try and use loads of different formats as well. (laughs) Well we'll definitely um we will on on the YouTube channel we'll definitely um tag your Instagram to that mm-hmm. so that people will be able to um follow this episode and then have a little look if they want to have a look at that um I'll definitely share it on social media yeah. as well like up from all our platforms as part of uh, launching this episode so that people can find you <laughs> cool I've, I've found it fascinating talking to you I've really it's 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 actually been a real comfort you you've actually given me a lot of comfort um 
talking um, the similarities between two of my children and you and your and your brother um and just as well i think the importance for any professionals listening to this um the fact that you know when when people say that fasd and autism can pretty much look identical it is it, it is so true and i think your family's journey is proof of that mm. um you know so i think it, it's a really really powerful story that you have as a family um and i'm just really thankful that you've shared that with us it's yeah. been it's really lovely talking to you i've really enjoyed it thank you for having me on <laughs> yeah no thank you for joining us I've, uh, yeah really enjoyed it was there anything that that any messages that you know you wanted to share uh just just as a closing or was there anything that you feel that you know you, you wanted to get across or anything um i think yeah like you say fasd and autism can look so so similar but then again you can it, it can be so different and like you say fasd is a brain injury and i forget that i forget it so much about my brother and i have to remind myself you know okay i'm autistic and i struggle with stuff but my brother has a brain injury and you know these kind of you, i don't want to say behavior but like you say kind of you know the things that he does you know it, it no matter how many times you say no or you, you, he knows he shouldn't be doing that he you know he'll he won't understand that mm-hmm. and it's it's frustrating mm-hmm. but just I think if you know someone with FASD or if you're like a parent or carer that that you're doing you're doing your best and I know that it's so frustrating and every day can feel like kind of groundhog day that's something my parents say a lot you know like you're starting the day again um, and (laughs) saying no to the same things again Um, but yes (laughs) but my my brother is wonderful in his own way and he has such strength so I think you know don't don't just write people off is what I want to say (laughs) I think it's really important what you've just said there on our last little thing about because I've actually been um I've actually been challenged by professionals before for using brain injury asking me do that do I really think it's necessary and and one asked us you know do you talk like that in front of your child um and I said often I use it as much as I can with professionals who I can tell don't understand what's going on um and but but actually what you've just said there is you know when I've used the word brain the term brain injury and you've said that you have to sometimes remind yourself that that's what's going on with your brother I went through a phase of having to use that that was my internal narrative all of the time to myself to make sure I had the right level of tolerance because I needed to remind myself all of the time that my children had brain injuries for me to be tolerant enough to handle yeah. what was being thrown at us because it's it's it is difficult yeah. there's no two ways about it and something that you've absolutely nailed one day and then the next day they can't do it you've got it's so easy to become frustrated frustrated with them mm-hmm. and that's absolutely unfair and wrong because yeah. But it's human, and I do it. I'm not saying I don't do it. But yeah. That's why I use brain injury to, you know, to, in my own dialogue all the time, internal dialogue, to remind myself of what I am dealing with. Because I, it's so easy to forget. Because it's a hidden disability, it's so yeah, easy yeah. to forget. But thank you so much. You've given us such a lot to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been. I'm, I'm so so happy that you reached out to us. Yeah, fantastic part of our uh, our sensory series yeah. to um to hear your story and uh, 
yeah have you share some insights of of what life is like thank you I appreciate the the time <laughs> you let me just speak on and on <laughs> hey thank you and and thank you as always to everybody listening um please tune in again uh next week and as always get in touch on social media and things reach out to us just as Emily did um because you never know where things can go and where these conversations can lead we will probably get you on if there's uh, if there's something that that you have yeah. to share with us and talk about so thank you. To speak to you yeah yeah definitely so thanks again Emily and thank you to everybody listening Bye.